modern, depi- modern depiction of Jesus, so don't worry about that, of him coming now. But I think that the message that we have here is that people are worth something. That's the point, right? We wouldn't see their worth. We may not recognize the worth of people, but Jesus does see our worth. If you would stand with me, and we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 15. We're going to read from verse 1 through 10. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Luke 15, 1 through 10, when you got it, say so. And it says, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Lord, thank you for your word that is true. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the reminders, God, of who you are and our value to you, Lord God. We pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears that we can hear from you, and that our hearts would be sensitive to you, God. I pray that we would not just hear your truth, but that we would respond to it in faith, bringing you glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to bring you one. You'll be able to follow along in the intro. You'll also be able to take some notes. And as always, I encourage you, uh, whenever you are um, utilizing these um, notes, you can also sit down with someone and help them grow in their faith by sharing what you're learning on Sunday morning. So I highly encourage you to do that. It will help you to grow, and it will help someone else to grow. And so we are continuing in our Whenever Necessary series. And today we're going to talk about a sinner's value. And so thus far in our series, if you've been paying attention, which I hope that you have, we, you will notice that we have seen two women and one man that receive his message, the message that Christ shared for them, and two men who have rejected them. That's what we've seen so far. So we've seen that even when Jesus preaches, when Jesus shares the gospel, when Jesus shares this life-changing message, right, we know that there are people that accept and there are people who reject the gospel. And so the same thing will happen for us. And so for the next two weeks, actually, what we're going to be doing is we're going to um, be looking at a different perspective of how Jesus engaged the lost. 
We're, gonna, we're, we're, not, we're not just going to look at uh, the exact way that he dealt with someone because in this particular story here, in this chapter, Jesus is really confronting the Pharisees that are there and that are, are accusing him of some wrongdoing. And so what we have here, though, is we have a clear depiction of what? Of the way that God views sinners. And therefore, we're talking about a sinner's value. And so the question that we must ask is this, and I want you to think about this question here. How much value do you place upon a sinner? How much value do you place upon a sinner? Upon someone who you think is unworthy, upon someone who you think is the worst of the worst. I was doing a report. Actually, as, as I was reading the, uh, as I was reading and preparing for this, I was reminded of a movie. The movie is called um, Dead Man, a Dead Man. I think it's a Dead Man Walking or Dead Man Walking. One of the two, and it's a it's a depiction of a true story. I'm going to warn you right now. The movie is rated R, and so I would encourage you not to watch this with your kids. But it is a true story, right? And so it's about this guy that is a rapist and a murderer and a nun. She actually comes and she's the one that's working with him as he is on his way to the electric chair. As he is on his way to execution. And in her time of dealing with him, it starts off in a really rough, in a rough situation. It's an old movie, so you know, no spoiler alert. You should have seen it already. If not, don't worry about it. But uh, the, it starts off really rough, right? And, 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 and he's, you know, coarse and disrespectful. But then as time progresses, she starts to see the value in him. To the degree where she starts to uh, <clears throat> want to, you know, wants to communicate for him and is asking for him to not receive this death penalty that he's about to receive. But the fact is what? The fact is that when you look at someone who is a heinous criminal of whatever kind, right, you may look at that person as having no value. But that's not the way that God views people. When you think about someone's sin, and so my question is this, how much value do you place upon a sinner? Why is this important? Think about this. The value we place on a sinner's soul is reflected in our efforts to reach them. See, that's the reason why the question becomes so important, because the value that we place on a sinner's soul is reflected in our efforts to reach them. And so if we really value someone who is a sinful person, if we really value sinful people, then we are going to make efforts. We are going to make real efforts in order to reach them with the gospel. We are going to do things that are outside of the norm in order to reach people with the gospel because they matter. So you can say, you and I can say that something matters to us, right? Like someone could say, man, I'm into, I'm into fitness, but they never go to the gym, they never work out. No, they're not into fitness. They may like the idea of fitness. They, might, they, they may even like the idea of being fit. Hello, somebody. They may even like the benefits of being fit, but they're not committed to fitness. Not like that person you know that they're up way too early. Come on now. They're at the gym because that's the only time they can get there. They're serious about it, right? Like that person is really committed to fitness. And so there's a difference, right? When someone is committed to something, when somebody values something, they live a certain way. They act a certain way. So we can sit in this room and we can say, oh, yes, I value sinners. But my question is this, how much effort are you making to reach sinners? to reach lost people, to reach those who don't know Christ yet. How much effort are you making? Are you just living your life like, hey, it's all good, like whatever, it doesn't really matter? Or are you a person who really cares about the eternal state and condition of those who don't know Christ? 
Because for us, I want you to know something. The whole purpose of this series is because I'm hoping not just that you will learn some new tool, you know, new tricks or, you know, get, gain some new tools, but it's that you would gain a right heart for those who don't know Christ. That you would gain a right heart for those who need to be reached with the gospel. That's the purpose, that we would value those who don't know Christ more than what we presently do. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, understand the importance of eating with sinners. Understand the importance of eating with sinners. Sinners. I want you to look at verse 1 and verse 2 here. And verse 1 says this, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. I want you to notice that when, when, when Luke is writing these words, again, remember, Luke is a Gentile. So he was one of those people that was unclean. When he's using terminology like the word sinner, there is a reason why this word is important in the text. And why it's important when we see it in the gospel. Because saying the word sinner was saying something serious about that person. And so he says in, that, in verse 1 that all of those that were there, that all of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to Jesus, in order to hear him. Notice that. They drew near to hear him. They didn't draw near just because they, for any reason, they drew near to hear what Jesus had to say. Now, I want us to think about something. Go back with me to chapter 14 and verse 25. Now, you don't have to go really far. I want you to hear Jesus, okay? So just, just catch this with me. This is what Jesus says. Now, great multitudes, that would include sinners, that would include the righteous, that includes everybody. And great, now, great multitudes went to him. And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Those aren't sugar-coated words, are they? And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wait a second. What, what happened to come to me as you are? Wait, wait, wait. Jesus is saying... If you're going to follow me, then, then, then it's not just come to me as you are, right? It's come to me as you are with an intention of changing, right? Like, like it's not just the way that we want to paint the picture. Let's continue on. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish, or what king going to make war against another? Another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while, other is, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice what Jesus does. Jesus raises the bar for following him. He doesn't lower it so that way people can jump over or skip over. He raises the bar and he makes it clear. If you're going to follow me, this is what it costs. And as a matter of fact, he drives home with two parables to say, this is what it costs to follow me. Everybody who's hearing me, this is what it costs to follow me. We're not going to lower the standard. We're not going to try to make it cute for you. We're not going to try to make it more accessible to you. We're going to let you know, you want to follow me, you got to come up here. 
You want to follow me? This is what it means to follow me. Count the cost. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to call you to live a life you've never lived before. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to call you to sacrifice like you've never sacrificed before. If you're going to follow me, you have to love me more than anything else. That's the standard that Jesus had. And I want you to look at verse 1 again. Look at what it says here. Verse 1, chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. To what? To hear him. They wanted to hear this message of Christ. And here's what happens. An important fact that I think many Christians miss is that Jesus never compromised the truth. However, he attracted sinners. That's crazy, is it not? Now think about this. Because a lot of us, we have heard before, I've heard plenty of preachers say it, Jesus, he ate with sinners. I mean, it's in the Bible, is it not? He ate with sinners. He, clearly, we're looking at a story that is like that. And, and we point out the fact that Jesus was with these sinners, these people who were not like him. They accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard, right? That's what they accused him of. It wasn't because he did any of those things. It was because the people he was around did those things. And yet Jesus is never compromising, and yet somehow he attracts these sinners. Now let's just unpack this word sinner for a moment. I know we've talked about it, and I keep saying sinner because I want you to hear that word. I, wa I want you to understand it's, it's, it's a person who when you think about what a sinner, what they were saying when you were talking about a sinner, you were talking about someone who was scum. You were talking about someone who was a scoundrel. You were talking about someone who was the filth of the earth. To the religious elite, this person was an outcast. This person had no right to come to the table with them. This person was unclean, and yet Jesus does what? Jesus, for, for some reason, they love being with Jesus. Why? Why? It seems to me, and, I, and I, I would say this, it seems that Jesus cared about them instead of just criticizing them. He called them higher. He called them to live a certain life. He didn't, he didn't lower the bar. Well, you know, you're a tax collector, so don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, you, you've had, no, you know, we, we saw the story. You were caught in adultery. Don't worry about it. That is, is, is that what Jesus says? Never. He says, go, sin no more. Right? Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus is like, I mean, he's, he's paying four times. I mean, this guy is serious with the repentance. Right? Jesus doesn't say, nah, bro, don't worry about it. No, no. He's like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Live this life that you're supposed to live. Jesus cared about these people. But see, most importantly, I want you to, I want you to get this. Look at verse 2. It says, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He receives them. He welcomes them. He accepts them at the table with them. Now remember, I talked to you guys about this. We're going to do communion in a little bit. And so I love the fact that I get to lead communion today. Because what we see here is we, we, we see these elements that we partake of every week. And this, this is a symbol, but this doesn't paint a real picture of what that fellowship meal was like. Right? The intimacy that was there. First and foremost, they didn't have chairs. Right? So this table was probably kind of high by the standards of those times because they're sitting on the floor. And so you know what that means? That means that people's feet are like near each other. Right? This is the most uncomfortable thing ever. Like I hate sitting on the floor, period, much less sitting next to people at a table. Feet in my face, I'm about to eat food. Come on, y'all. Y'all know you don't want to eat like that. Right? 
Like, praise the Lord for advances in technology, right? Praise the Lord that someone came up with chairs and was like, hey, let's, let's sit under a table where I ain't got to see your feet. I ain't got to smell them. I ain't got to be near them. I can think about the food I'm eating, right? Like, I'm just saying, right? Anyway, <laughs> the communion table, the table of fellowship was such a sacred place. Sitting down with someone and welcoming them to the table was a big deal. Because this, I mean, this represented like, man, I accept you. I love you. I care about you. I'm not just dropping some food off to you. I'm inviting you to eat with me. I'm inviting you to partake of this supper with me, whatever it is now that we think of the Last Supper, but I'm inviting you to partake of that. I'm inviting you to this fellowship meal. And so these people that the religious elite were like, nah, bro, you can't sit at my table. Now, you, you, you can't be with me. You're unclean. I'm not going to let you make me unclean. You know what Jesus says? You can't make me unclean. Sit with me so I can make you clean. You hear the difference? You're not going to contaminate me because I'm not going to become a glutton. I'm not going to become a drunkard. I'm going to sit at this table with you. I'm going to call you to a higher standard of living. I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to live right. And I'm going to empower you to be holy. But you know where that happens, church? It happens in fellowship with Christ. It happens at the table. So important, right? that we understand the table and sitting down with sinners. And so Jesus does it. Here's the thing, y'all. I want you to think about this now. We're not the ones that make people clean. We're not the ones that make people holy. But you know what we do? We introduce them to the one that does. We introduce them to the one who is holy. We introduce them to the one who is righteous, the one who is pure, the one who is all-powerful, the one who is merciful, the one who is gracious. That is what we do. We sit at the table with them. We welcome them. So church, we have to understand how important it is to eat with sinners. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you you broke bread with an unrepentant sinner? When was the last time you had a meal with an unrepentant sinner? Now, now, when you think about that, right, some of you are like, man, I just, yesterday, <laughs> this morning, I'm just kidding, don't say this morning, don't say this morning. <laughs> y'all, y'all here with your loved ones, right, glory to God. <laughs> but it could have been, right, it could have been this morning, right, I'm about to go, I don't know. But here's the thing, when, when you sat down with them, how did you feel? Did you feel like nervous? Were you, were, did you feel like you need to preach the gospel to them? Did you even care about their soul? Did you even think about their soul? See, because here's the thing. There's, there's got to be this balance, right? First, first on one side, when you're sitting down with someone that doesn't know Jesus, man, I don't, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Like when I'm sitting out with someone that does not know Christ and we're having a meal together, I'm looking for opportunities to talk about the Lord. I'm looking for, I'm not trying to force those opportunities. Don't, don't get it twisted. I won't ever, I mean, I've learned, I've grown enough in my life to know when I'm forcing a conversation. Like, I, I get that, right? But I'm looking for the opportunities, right? I'm praying in silence for the opportunities. If I know that I'm going to have a meal with someone who's not a follower of Christ, you know what I've been doing? I've been praying up until that point. Like, God, open the doors. Help me to have a con- Like, that's what is happening, right? Because, because here's the thing. We don't know when our last breath is going to be, and we don't know when their last breath is going to be. What happens if you have... Have this meal with them, and man, they die right after that meal, and you missed an opportunity to share the gospel with them. I mean, think about that, right? Like, so, so there should be this tension between number one, I want to love you, and number two, right? I, I also want to look for opportunities to have these conversations. 
I want, I want to be mindful of eternity and of your eternal state. See, here's the thing. It should be our attitude to love others, should it not? Paying for someone's meal. Inviting some, I mean, just thinking, like loving others, that's the way that you reach them. If you don't love them, you're not going to reach them. It's going to be real difficult for you to reach. Most people, most of you that are sitting in this room, right, there, there may be some of you that you got saved through like a sermon like this or something. But I, can, but I can almost assure you almost every single one of you, even if you got saved through a sermon, there was a connection and a relationship that brought you in contact with that sermon. Most of us didn't get saved in isolation of people. Most of us got saved through connection, through relationships. Someone cared about us enough to invite us to church. Someone cared about us enough to have a conversation with us about Jesus. Someone loved us. I mean, something was happening there. And so, church, we have to be those that are loving other people. See, we talk about, we say this every week, that we, that, that we are engaging people where they are. What does engaging people where they are do? It creates opportunities that, that does what? It builds bridges for future conversations, hopefully. And maybe it creates conversations there. But here's what I want to tell you. Pray for them. Pray for those people that are sinners. Pray for those people that are less than. Pray for them. But also pray for yourself. How about that? Pray for yourself. And what about this one? Invite them to lunch. But let's take it to the next level. Why don't you invite them to dinner? Why don't you, inv- why don't you invite them? Because, you know, it's, I'm going to tell you something. Some of us, we're, man, I'm going to call y'all bougie. Some of y'all like that. Uh, Right, Like you'll invite someone to lunch because that's all good. Like we could have lunch together, but I don't know about bringing that heathen in my house. Come on now, let's keep 100, right? I don't know about bringing that sinner in my home. How are they going to influence my family? Hold on a second. Who is your savior? Who is the anchor of your faith? Who is the one that keeps you? Are you that weak in your faith that you can, is your family that like, I mean, they're, they're so holy that they couldn't have a sinner that, oop, they might drop an F-bomb. Oh, my goodness. Oh, come on, Bishop. I can't control their mouth, right? They, they may slip up and say something that, that, that may be off color that your kid might repeat. And you'd be like, son, in my case, you might, daughter, <laughs> Well, they said it. Yeah, they were wrong. Let me tell you why. (laughs) But here's the thing. Inviting them to sit down to eat, have a meal with them, showing them that they matter, showing them that they have value. Number two, say this with me. Say, understand the power and purpose of parables. Understand the power and purpose of parables. So it's really important that we look at what Jesus does. Jesus is known for parables, is he not? He's always sharing parables. He's always communicating. And we know that he was sharing in parables because he tells his disciples that he shared in parables and what was happening. Some people, he was doing that intentionally so they would be blinded, so they would not know the truth, so they would not come to repentance. If Jesus hadn't spoken in parables, he may not have been crucified. That's just a reality. But he spoke in parables, and he communicated some things. But if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because parables are suggested to have four levels. There's like four levels in parables. So the first level is this. It's a story, a marvelous story that captures the imagination of the listener. It's a marvelous story that captures the imagination of the listener. So it's a story that is, that is there to captivate the audience and, and make them pause. And we're like, wait a second. I, I understand what's going on here. And so that's level one, is a marvelous story that captures the imagination of listener. Um, level two is that it's a story that teaches moral behavior. A story that teaches moral behavior. 
And so a parable can teach a moral behavior, right? A certain behavior, certain, certain examples. Parable of the talents, right? You think about that. There's certain moral behavior that is being taught there. Level, level three, it is a story that reveals something about the kingdom of God. There's a bunch of, of, of parables that Jesus says, and the kingdom of heaven is like. Right, the field, right, that, that the guy went and bought because there was treasure in that field. The kingdom of heaven is like this, this seed, right? The kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus communicates with um, things about the kingdom in these different parables. That's the third level. The fourth level is a story that reveals something about Jesus himself. And so it's something that, a, a parable that shows something about Christ. You think about the good shepherd. We're going to look at the shepherd story here in a moment. But you think about different parables that Jesus told, and he's communicating something about himself to his hearers. He's communicating to them, letting them know some stuff about who he is. And so what does Jesus do? When, when these religious people come to Jesus and they're saying all this stuff, that he's a man that receives sinners and eats with them, he doesn't go and get on the defensive mode, does he? And says, oh, well, let me explain. That isn't what he does. He does what? He jumps into parable mode. That's what he does. He's like, oh, y'all got something to say? Check this out. I got one for you. Let me tell you this story. So let's look at the stories that Jesus tells. And, and looking at this story, what do you see here in the story? You, you listen to the story as one who was in that room. And it says, verse 3, so he spoke this parable to them. And so the first parable, he says this, what man of you, so now he puts it on them, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. The second parable Jesus tells, he says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus tells these two parables. Next week we'll deal with the third parable for time's sake. But he deals with these three parables. And, and in these two parables that we look at today, we find something. And there's two questions that we have to ask. First of all, the most important, what is Jesus saying? What is he trying to communicate? But here's the second thing you need to think about. What are his hearers hearing? When he's telling these parables, what are the hearers? That are, so who are the hearers? Let's talk about the hearers for a moment. There's, there's two groups of people here. There are the sinners, and there are the ones who think they're not sinners. <laughs> you got that, right? Because really it's one group, all sinners. <laughs> but there's one group that doesn't think they're sinful. They don't think they're unrighteous. They don't think they're unworthy. And then there is the other group that is sitting there. And so Jesus tells the first parable. And so the first parable, we have what? We have three main characters, do we not? We have the shepherd person who was going to get the sheep. 
We have the 99 sheep that are there. Those are the ones that are not lost. Those are the ones that are there. Notice they're in the wilderness. It's funny that Jesus uses the wilderness word, right? Like weren't the children of Israel walking around in the wilderness for a long time? Anyway. So his hearers are hearing these words, and then he says, and then there's this one sheep that gets lost. And guess what Jesus says? He says the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and get the one. So you know what? These people are hearing this, and so Jesus is trying to say, hey, this one sheep is valuable. This one sheep matters. This one sheep is worthy of being left in, or or not being left, but being run after. This sheep has value. He's lost. He lost his way. I don't know what happened to him. You know, he may have been a sheep that was instead of, you know, they, they say this. I, I was reading a book called Psalm 23, and in this book it talks about shepherds. And it says something that's really, that, that's really weird. Not weird, but it's something I didn't know. And it's this. It's that there is usually like one sheep that is in the, in the sheep group there. And the, I don't even know the sheep group anyway. <laughs> the herd. Hello. <laughs> Please edit that. I need to have a herd there because, you know, I can't be sounding crazy. Anyway. <laughs> So there's, I'm going to call it the sheep group. That's what I'm calling it, all right? So anyway, so there's one sheep in the sheep group, right, that he, (laughs) that he does not want to, he wants to keep looking over the other side of the fence. He wants to keep, he thinks the grass is greener over there. And so what he's always doing, he's always putting his neck over there. And you know what is sad? This is what's sad. What's sad is that the shepherd, in order to keep the other sheep in line, you know what he has to do? kill that sheep that sounds harsh but he has to get rid of the rebel in order to be able to preserve the other sheep there but here's what I want you to realize maybe that one sheep was the one that his head is always looking over there he's always doing his own thing and that sheep got lost that's how sheep get lost hello they're not listening to the shepherd they're not paying attention to the sheep group hello somebody (laughs) I'm going to say that second service too, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) But the reality is what? Jesus says that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one that's lost. And then he goes and he does what? When he finds him, picks him up on his shoulders, and he rejoices. But you know what happens? This is so crazy to me. After he gets home, he doesn't just go home and take a shower. He calls everyone to have a party. Hello. (laughs) Because the sheep mattered so much to him. And so you could hear some of those Pharisees saying, well, I'm one of the 99. I stay the course. I stay where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, yeah, and I left you behind (laughs) to go get the one because that one matters. And then the next story we have of this widow. And so the two main characters here are a coin and a widow or this, this woman who was there. Houses in those times were much like this room besides the fact that they had no lighting. Hello. But they had no windows. They had like a little hole that was like this, a couple little holes like up high that you were able to get some kind of airflow in there. But there were no lights. So what this woman had to do was she had to light a lamp. And what I want you to know, unlike this room, this room, if you were to take this carpet up, this floor would have maybe some cracks, but nothing would get stuck in those cracks because the, the cement is right. In those days, the ground had all kinds of cracks in it. And so what that meant was when this woman lit this lamp, you don't see the picture, but what she was literally doing is she's literally crawling around on the floor. She's looking at every crack and every crevice, and she's trying to find this one coin. She has nine other coins, but she's trying to find one coin because it has great value. And what does she do? She finds the coin, throws a party, hello, invites everybody over. 
And I love this because Jesus shows the principle of the kingdom. And he says in two different ways. He says in one way there is, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then I like the other part. The other one he says that there, that there is rejoicing in the presence of angels. You know what that means if there's rejoicing in the presence of angels? God is the one that is rejoicing. He is the one that is rejoicing, that is excited because somebody repented of their sin. Do you think sinners have value? Those people that you think have little value, God says they have great value. And here's the thing, church. We get to rejoice and be part of that joy. We get to be part of that celebration if we care about sinners. If we value sinners, but you know what? If we don't value, guess what we don't get to do? We don't get to party. Hello. We don't get to rejoice. We get to live a humdrum life. We never get to experience the joy of seeing someone turn from the darkness to the light. Because we don't care enough about sinners to sit down with them and engage them. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, understand the value Jesus places on sinners. Now listen, I've talked about this, right, in this whole time, right, like we've been talking about that sinners are valuable. But what I want you to think about this is that these parables have one thing in common. And it is this, it is that they both speak of the value of the thing lost. The sheep that was lost, the coin that was lost, they had great value. So much value that when they were found, there was great rejoicing. But I want you to look forward from where Jesus is now to just maybe, you know, a, a year later and some, you know, some time. Maybe a little bit more than that. When he actually goes to the cross. When he actually demonstrates how much value sinners have. Because what he is doing is he is demonstrating how much, how important sinners are. How important those whom we would think don't even matter, those we don't even think about. He laid down his life to show us how much sinners matter to him. He died for our sins. He suffered in our place. We saw the video earlier in this depiction. He sees value even when we don't. Even when we don't think people value, even we, when we don't think people have value, even when we don't think people matter, Jesus demonstrates that people matter. And so we, so you and I, church, understand this. You and I, if you are saved in this place, you have been saved from a messy, dangerous, sin-filled world. Have you not? You've been saved from that. But can I also tell you something? You have been sent into a messy, dangerous, sin-filled mission field. The place you were saved from, God is sending you into to go and reach those who don't know Christ. And so we've, we've talked to every week that the, the, the thing that we learn about Jesus. And there's one point, I usually give you a list, but there's one point this week that I want you to think about what we learn about Jesus here. And it is this, is the way that Jesus dealt with issues of human dignity and shame. The way that Jesus dealt with issues of human dignity and shame. Can I tell you something, if you don't know this right now, there is, there is a lot of stuff that goes on in our culture right now where we're talking about people's dignity, are we not? We talk about what people, val what, what value people have. And, 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 and there's bad, I mean, there's, there's struggles that, that people are having and there's conversations that, I mean, I mean, there's conversations ad nauseum. I'm just telling you right now. I'm part of groups, everything. And, and I hate, and I, and I do not, uh, I do not agree with this mindset, but everything becomes a racial issue. It's not true. Not everything is a racial issue. I'm sorry. You can make it a racial issue. You can do that if you want. 
But that's not always the case, right? That's not the truth. And so the fact is, though, what I do believe is this, is that there are some conversations that need to be had. Would you say amen to that? There are some real conversations that, need to, that we need to have some communication about. We need to talk about the human dignity and the value of people, no matter what color their skin is, no matter what country they come from, no matter what zip code they live in, no matter what their economic status is, no matter what their gender is, we all have inherent value. That's what God says. All of us have equal value before God, our creator. And church, I want you to know something. We are the ones that are called to make sure that we live that way when we're dealing with other people. Because what Jesus does is no matter who it is that comes before him, he always shows the value that they have. And so I'm getting ready to wrap this up, but I want you to think about this. One of the most important lessons we can learn from Jesus is this. To see beyond the exterior of a person, especially beyond their sin, to treat them with honor and with love. This is a big thing. We got to look beyond a lot of stuff on the exterior. But the one thing we have to be able to do is that no matter what sins a person commits, no matter how we look at them, how we view them, we have to see them through the lens that Jesus provides for us. We have to see them as image bearers. We have to see them, even those people that we can't stand, even, even those people that bother, that get on our last earth, we have to see them through the lens of having inherent value because they are image bearers of God Almighty. I want you to think about this. Jesus was the Savior of the world. He came into this world to redeem people from every culture, from every racial group, from both genders, from all religions, and from every kind of sin. That's what Jesus did. He said, no matter what you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you have value. You have value. And we have to see people that way. We have to see people from that, that, that viewpoint. See, here's the thing, church. It is easy to devalue someone based upon any number of reasons. But we must recognize, check this out. Every person we lock eyes with is an image bearer. Every person we lock eyes with is an image bearer of Almighty God. And listen, some people are more marred than others. Some people mess that image up more than others. Nonetheless, it doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change who they are. And we have to be those who care enough to see them the way that God sees them. Because you know what? It's not just about our, our value system of them. It's not just about the way that we see them. But how does the Father see them? The Father sees them. The Creator sees them. And so here's my closing question for you. Do your efforts in reaching lost people. Reflect a heart that values sinners like Jesus does. Do your efforts, not your intentions, not what you say you value, not what you know is right. Do your efforts. Church, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. What you do every day, what you do throughout your week. What you do, do your efforts show that you value sinners. And if you're honest with yourself right now and you're like, man, if, if, if someone were to look at my life, objectively, just look at my life objectively. 
I said, man, you don't care about sinners. I can tell you what you care about. Listen, if I looked at your checkbook right now, I'm not going to do it. But if I did, I could tell you what you value. I look at your monthly bills, or some of y'all are like, checkbook? I don't use a checkbook. I do whatever. I look at your bank statement, whatever. <laughs> I look at the bills that come in. How about that? I can tell what you value. Same thing with our lives. You can tell what you value. Do your efforts show? If you say no, listen, this is a safe place. Repent. Turn. Recognize God. You, you sent your son to die. You laid your life down. So that way a sinner like me could have eternal life. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to invite the music ministry to come forward.